0: I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist, Heather Knight, and you're listening to 5th and Mission. A group of business owners and residents in the Tenderloin has just sued the city over the dire conditions in the neighborhood. The plaintiffs want San Francisco to clear sidewalks of burgeoning tent encampments, house homeless people in hotel rooms or safe camping sites, clean the streets, and rid the sidewalks of drug dealers. One plaintiff is Hastings Law School on McAllister Street. I'm talking today to the school's Executive Director of Operations, Rhiannon Baylord, about how things got so bad a law school is suing its own city. For the record, the city responded quickly with a plan to improve the tenderloin. Rhiannon Baylord, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So Hastings has just joined a number of other plaintiffs to sue the city of San Francisco over the conditions in the Tenderloin. And of course, we all know there have been major unaddressed issues in that neighborhood for years. Can you explain how conditions got so bad that you're now taking the city to court?
1: Well, as you mentioned, Tenderloin has faced many, many challenges for many years and has been disregarded in a lot of ways. Uh, the most prime examples, of course, are the rampant drug dealing uh, that we see on a daily basis, and then the number of unhoused individuals that are frankly suffering on, on the streets of the So These are longstanding issues, but with the pandemic, it reached a completely unsustainable point. Um, we are Many of our unhoused individuals and, and residents of, of the Tenderloin have really been invisible to the broader society and invisible to the city. Um, now that they have tents, we see just how bad it is. And on top of that, we have drug dealing that's completely out of control, um, such that you know residents, businesses are unable to navigate the sidewalks at all. And so we have been for years, along with so many other citizens and community members in the Tenderloin, seeking a response, seeking attention in the Tenderloin. And now it, it got to the point where it felt like our only option in light of the pandemic was to bring this lawsuit to have the situation addressed in the Tenderloin.
0: Right. And I believe that you live near Hastings as well, Right.
1: I don't actually I okay. I live in I live in Oakland however I work in the Tenderloin um throughout the pandemic so many are yes. are working from home right now but I'm an essential staff person so I have been here Uh, on a daily basis, you know, both before the pandemic um, and establishment of of shelter in place restrictions and now since that time as well. So I've really been able to see uh, uh, the, you know, devolving of the situation here in the Tenderloin.
0: So can you describe what it's like to get even into your workplace? Like what do you personally have to deal with on a day to day basis?
1: Yeah, so we are fortunate in the sense that on our immediate frontage, uh, we don't have um, encampments. However, we have, um, you know, drug use going on. Uh, we also have drug dealing that used to be situated up at Golden Gate and Hyde, which is um, at a corner immediately across the street from, uh, from our campus. It has now progressed all the way down the street along Hyde adjacent to 200 McAllister, which is our administrative building. Um, and so navigating that area, I mean, I frankly, as I walk by there, I walk in the middle of the street. Uh, Golden Gate um, behind our, we have a new academic building back there. Same deal. I have to walk in the middle of the street due to drug use, drug dealing. Um, and then at the corner of Larkin and McAllister, there's an encampment there, probably about 15 to 20 tents that are there on, on a daily basis. And so that's another location where uh, trying to navigate through that and follow public health guidance in terms of social distancing is just, it's absolutely impossible. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, navigating walking on the street as opposed to on the sidewalk. Um, I have very few staff that are here right now, but I have 200 students that are living here in the Tenerloin, um who are scared, frankly, to go very much further than to out to get there essential supplies, and, and even then are, are having issues that they're encountering encountering on the streets. And I have faculty and staff who might want to come in and pick something up because they're working virtually. And I, I literally have to give them a block-by-block block detailed analysis of how they might, um, in the safest way possible, get into our building. So it's it's very, very challenging. Um, and some of the other issues that we've seen for a long time in terms of, uh, you know, feces and urine and hypodermic needles, uh, worse worse than ever before.
0: I was over there um, yesterday, too, or Wednesday for a column that's out now um, on drug dealing in the Tenderloin and how it's gotten even worse. And I I saw what you're speaking of, which is um, at Golden Gate and Hyde, so many dealers out on the corner blatantly dealing and then just rows and rows of people who are clearly high and just slumped over, stretching down the block right next to them. And it didn't seem like any officials were doing anything about it.
1: No, I mean... (laughs) There, and I understand the challenge challenges that SFPD is facing in terms of congregate settings, um, being not a, not a solution, as well as, uh, you know, not having enough staffing. I, I understand a tremendous strain that they're under. At the same time, you know, and many in the community are saying this, and I've seen it myself, you have police going immediately by Golden Gate and the Hyde, you know, large groups of dealers there and not even engaging. So prior to the pandemic, uh, you know, drug dealing was an issue but what we what we saw at least was you know it, it, an engagement with them uh, you know if not arrests at least you know asking people to move along respecting you know entrances to businesses entrances to uh, residential apartments etc but that's not happening now, at, at least from what I've seen. And the result is that what's happening is some of the agreements that businesses and, um, you know, residential units have made literally with the dealers to, you know, please don't stand in front of our business. Please stand over there. Those have all fallen apart. And so now it's, it's free reign of the dealers to be wherever they want to be at, at any given time. And it forces people, as I said, to literally, you know, walk in in the street. Um, I've heard lots of stories of people who are Aren't even doing that, you know. They don't even. They're scared to leave their apartments, um, especially elderly folks that are disabled, as well as families with with young children that that mm-hmm. don't want to have to navigate that.
0: And we've seen police um, patrol other neighborhoods uh, with more of a heavy hand than they normally would because of the pandemic. Um, they cleared all of Dolores Park on a recent sunny day because people were sunbathing in too many numbers, um, saying it was for their own safety. And yet they don't do. Anything like that in the tenderloin, do you feel like there's just sort of a exception made for that neighborhood or what's going on?
1: Oh absolutely i mean the the tenderloin has been treated as a containment zone. For years, um, you know what what is permitted in more affluent and influential neighborhoods um, is is of course um, not the same here in the Tenderloin. So if there are problems happening in other neighborhoods, it gets pushed into the Tenderloin. And, and the reality is uh, that we have individuals here, many of whom are low income. Uh, we have lots of individuals who are working two and three jobs. Uh, you know they don't have the ability to go to public hearings. They don't have the same voice uh, that other in other neighborhoods do. And so as a result, it's easy to disregard uh, and ignore uh, those individuals. And so that's been, that's been happening for years. Um, And now it's the pandemic has just put it in stark relief. So Mm -hmm. uh, as you say, in Dolores Park, we're pushing people out of Dolores Park. Well, if you walk through the tunnel, I know, I know you were just here yesterday. If you walk through the tunnel, I mean, there's groups of 15, 20 people together and that's, that's happening at the encampments, but it's not just the encampments. It's, you know, the dealers and and users and, and and just others in the neighborhood as well, large groups that are that are congregating. So the pandemic has just uh, showed us uh, issues that are already happening, um, but showed us, you know, the, the fact that this is it's out of control at this point. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's a true uh, public health and, and safety concern for all of the residents and businesses in, in the Line right now.
0: And the court documents were really eye-opening. You had some quotes from people who had considered enrolling in Hastings and then ended up turning um, the offer down because of these conditions. So it is affecting the school's, um, you know, bottom line, right?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, we have people who – we have students prospective students who, as you said, in the court filings have been planning to come here and literally taken uh, one visit to the neighborhood and, and they've changed their mind about that. Um, but it, it's not the suit. We're not bringing the suit specifically uh, looking at our, our bottom line. We, we are bringing the suit because this is integral to our role as a member of the community. Um, we have access and privilege that many in the Tenorloin don't have as an institution. And so uh, as we were navigating and out with the community, uh, the voice was largely universal that what's happening right now with respect to, you know, folks being made to suffer in encampments on the street, um, as well as drug dealing that, that, is, that are, is out of control, uh, what's happening right now is is unacceptable. And so we what we wanted to do is we wanted to take the lead with these five co-plaintiffs to look for residents solution and having the federal courts come in and be able to compel an outcome that we haven't been able to achieve here in the city of San Francisco to date, which is to address long standing problems, but starting with the immediacy of the pandemic.
0: I'll be right back with Rhiannon Baylord. I'm Heather Knight, and I'm back with Rhiannon Baylord. Some of the other details in the court documents I found really shocking, um, especially the owner of the Saluna Cafe saying that he had seen um, homeless people having to bathe in a puddle because there's so few hygiene and opportunities and, and bathrooms in the neighborhood. And, you know, things like that really sound like what you would see in a third world country. Did any other details that you heard from plaintiffs stand out to you?
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, first, for the owner of, of Saluna, uh, what he has experienced during the pandemic—he had one of his business partners had a gun pulled on him, you know, straight up to the face as he tried to ask dealers to step away from uh, the front, the you know, the entrance to his business. All he's trying to do is be able to have you know some some business with respect to delivery, etc., um, and just by trying to protect his business, having his life threatened, and in fact that that part was told uh, if he comes back to the business, he will be killed. And so, you know, that type of thing encountered, as well as, you know, 20 tents right in front of their establishment. Any business that's trying to survive after the pandemic, any business, no matter where you are, it's going to be a challenging time. But to be a business that's trying to survive post-pandemic, in addition to being in the tenderloin, it's incredibly challenging. Um, I heard stories from, you know, our co-plaintiffs, Randy Hughes, is an individual who, is unable to get down the street to get his basic supplies. He's in a wheelchair, um, and so to try to navigate the street, he 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 goes down and he tries to ask people to move politely. Um, verbal altercations at best, you know, physical threats um, are common. He he is himself going down the street in a wheelchair. Heard multiple stories from individuals who. Lots of families living in small studio apartments, multiple families in small studio apartments, haven't left the house. Um, you know, one person will go out to get groceries, but everybody else has remained in the apartment because they're scared. They, do, they, they don't want to take their children out. Um, and actually, since we filed this suit, we have been inundated with people reaching out to us from the community, sharing their own personal stories and wanting ways in which... They can engage and they can participate and they can support this effort. We've heard stories of individuals who have sent in seven thousand. One individual in particular said he's sent in seven thousand different complaints. You know, three one one letters, letters to the city, letters to public works, etc., and has documentation of all of it to no avail. And and um, you know, due to an encampment that that exists, and and this actually predates the pandemic as well. So, this is a community that is that is suffering. Um, it, it actually. Actually makes me think of Dr. Howard Pinderhughes out of UCSF. He looks at community trauma, and he specifically has focused on the Tenderloin as a community that is suffering collective community trauma what they, of what they experience on a daily basis. Uh, and now with the pandemic, it's made things you know a hundred times worse than it was before because the feeling is you know we were being ignored before. And that was that was a challenge. And now we are being ignored, despite the fact that we are in absolute freefall. And this is an absolute emergency crisis situation.
0: And in response to the lawsuit, the city um, basically sounded like they were blaming you for not being patient and waiting for their own plan to be announced, which they were apparently right in the middle of making coincidentally. Um, What did you think of their response?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, the line can't be patient anymore. I mean, we can't, we don't have any more time to wait. We have been, uh, you, you could say we've been patient for years, despite the fact that, you know, so many in the community have been reaching out and, and seeking change. Uh, but the, but the bottom line is there's no time to wait anymore. And the plan that was released, Frankly, you know, I I appreciate that there was an assessment done. I actually participated in that assessment. Um, But what has resulted from that plan, which is a preliminary plan, by the way, that has been released, You know, seven or eight weeks after the establishment of a local health emergency, Uh, what has been set forth in the plan is a plan to further institutionalize and sanction uh, a containment zone in the Tenderloin, because what it discusses is deployment of resources to encampments on the sidewalk. Now, I absolutely and we absolutely support providing resources to folks that are unhoused and that need water. They need toilets. They need wash stations. These are all immediate needs. And at the same time, to do that on the streets of the Tenderloin, not only is not addressing their needs appropriately, but it's also not addressing the needs of the broader community in terms of residents and businesses. Uh, What we would like to see is um, the sidewalks cleared by providing either access to the hotel rooms that we've been hearing about, and I I know there's been some deployment there, but more access to those hotel rooms, or safe alternative camping sites on public-owned land uh, that are not adjacent to businesses and residents and that have services and resources provided there. And so to provide that immediately and work on that as opposed to deploying resources on the sidewalks, sanctioning encampments on the sidewalks, not addressing drug dealing at all. uh, The plan itself specifically said uh, it listed drug dealing and it said we will follow the recommendations of the San Francisco Police Department and, and and obviously, that's not gotten us anywhere to date, uh, so I don't think it will in light of the pandemic as well. So immediate response to both of those actions. And, and something that was actually suggested um, actually a few weeks ago by the Tenderloin Community Benefits District in a letter that they sent, but I've heard it rumbling throughout the community as well, is, you know, there's a large public space uh, at Civic Center Plaza. Um, Mm -hmm. That's a place where you could deploy resources, water, etc. And it's not immediately adjacent to residences. It's not immediately adjacent to small businesses. Uh, So I'm not suggesting that that needs to be the solution, but creative thinking like that and working on immediate deployment, not to the streets of the Tenderloin, but to alternative housing sites where we can serve the needs of the unhoused residents, as well as the housed residents and businesses is what we should be working on immediately.
0: Why do you think that the civic center idea hasn't gained traction? I have some ideas, but would love to hear from yeah, you. Yeah, I mean,
1: I mean, I think that the optics of it probably aren't viewed as positive for City Hall. Mm-hmm. I frankly think the opposite. I think that to have that encampment there and to show that this is something that the city of San Francisco has, has long stated is important, there's, there's an acknowledgment that this is an issue, uh, and to say, you know, we're going to deal with this literally right here on our front lawn. I, I actually think the optics of that could be really, really positive, uh, but I, I assume I I don't know, and I haven't heard any response from the city on that particular suggestion, but I assume it's a concern about optics of having, you know, encampments set up right in front of City Hall.
0: Yeah. Well, um, there was a big encampment in front of City Hall when Art Agnos was mayor after the earthquake, and he was a one-term mayor, so that might (laughs) have something to do with it. Um, Right. uh, You have survived the serious questions, and now it is time for our lightning round. Okay, great. (laughs) <laughs> I'm uh, still trying to make people smile during these bleak times with some lighthearted questions. So yeah,
1: it's critically it, important that we have joy and, and laughter in addition to focusing on the challenging things. So that's good.
0: Exactly. So the very important question is, where is your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? Oh,
1: well, my favorite place, to get a burrito. I actually, this is terrible, but I don't know the name of it. It's just a block away from here, um, from Hastings and it's right on McAllister street, but I don't know the name of it. So that's where <laughs> that's I okay. go for my burritos.
0: Cool. Where is your favorite place in the city to get a stiff drink?
1: Oh, okay. So my favorite place is zombie village. My ties nice. all the way.
0: <laughs> what was your first concert?
1: My first concert um, was Faith No More, but I grew up in Hawaii, so it was not in San Francisco, but um, seeing Faith No More in Hawaii, oh my gosh, I was 15, so, you know, I think it was how, how long ago is that, uh, dating myself at like 1995 in Hawaii Faith No More. And actually my parents though, took me to see Aerosmith when I was real young, when I was like six or seven. So that was my first technical concert. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but my first concert that I chose to go to was, was Faith No More. So what,
0: what Island did you grow up on? Oahu. Oh, nice. What was the last book you read?
1: Uh, The last book that I read was, uh, this sounds terrible, but this last, because the title is terrible, but it was actually really good, Uh, 1,000 White Women. And mm-hmm. it is about a um a true historical event, which is that um the Sioux nation was went to washington d c back in the eighteen hundreds and in an attempt to have peace between the United States and native americans uh offered up something that was Uh, traditional in their tribes, which was if you have intermarriage in between tribes, you then have an affiliation. So Hmm. this this Sioux chief went to Washington, D.C. and said, if you give us 1,000 white women, we will assimilate. Um, and that's actually a true event that happened, but the response was no. And in this book, it looked at what would have happened if the response was yes. And so oh. it was one of these fascinating things that it was, uh, you know, formed in. There was some h- historical accuracy to it, but a fictional approach to it. So
0: oh, it's really good. Yeah, I have to add it to my list. Yeah. Um, if you could ma- wave a magic wand, what is your one wish for the tenderloin? My
1: wish for the tenderloin would be to, have visibility, recognition, and to be treated the same way as any other citizenry within San Francisco. Um, And and that would amount to uh, not permitting activities in the Tenderloin that aren't permitted in in other neighborhoods and allowing the Tenderloin to have a voice and giving the Tenderloin community autonomy uh, in the direction that they want to go.
0: And will school start at Hastings like normal this fall?
1: We are dealing with that right now. Uh, So we're doing recovery planning efforts in terms of looking at what it'll look like from a COVID-19 perspective. Uh, However, at the same time, we also have to consider not just what's happening inside our, our halls, but also what's happening outside our doors. So our plan is all systems go within public health guidance, of course, uh, but that we will have uh, fall students here returning to the campus. Um, but of course, we're going to have to do some you know, virtualization, et cetera, uh, just mm-hmm. based on limitations for public health guidance. But yes, our plan is to resume at the normal time in the fall, which is in August for us.
0: Okay. And last question, what is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day?
1: So I am an avid meditator and, uh, exerciser. I don't know if that's appropriate grammar, <laughs> but every morning I have to get in some meditation time and some exercise and particularly, um, in these busy times, busy, busy, crazy times. So if that means, you know, going for a run or doing one of those, um, videos online, um, but always, always starting my day with, with meditation so that I can center myself and, uh, remember, remember what I'm working towards in my life, which is to be positive change in the world.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much for making time for me today. It was fun to talk to you.
1: Thank you so much, Heather. I really enjoyed it.
0: Thank you to Rian and Baylord for joining me today, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and to you for listening.
1: Fifth Emission is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. If you like this podcast, please consider becoming a financial supporter of the largest newsroom in Northern California. You can sign up for a San Francisco Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod.